am here on the Rebuild podcast, uh, and I'd like to welcome Sam and Annie, who are part of the founding Rebuild team, to talk to us today about their community village project in Portugal. So first, first question is, who are you? And second question is, tell us about your village. Yeah. Right. Uh, hey, my name is Annie. I'm Romanian. I was born in a small village in Romania. Um, but that was not enough for me and I wanted to live in a big city. So I moved to New York uh, after university. Uh, I lived there for a number of years and I also started a nomad life going back and forth to New York and building a community uh, around the world called Project Heart. So I spend uh, quite a bit of time between uh, New York, Mexico, Turkey, Berlin. And finally I landed in Portugal last year uh, where we're actually going to start building a physical place, our little village, the traditional dream factory. Uh, hey, so me, I'm French and Danish. I was born on a small island in Denmark called the Moon, on the moon. <laughs> um, and I grew up mostly in south of France in the mountains and I also moved to New York when I was in my early 20s um, and was doing a career in tech and been working with tech companies in New York and then started working remotely about four years ago and at that point I decided <clears throat> that just living in New York didn't really make sense to me. So I started uh, working and traveling from uh, various places around the world. And uh, once you get started to that lifestyle and being a digital nomad, um, you usually cannot like the connections that um, that you have when you, when you live in a place. And so one of uh, my goals when I started uh, Oasa a few years ago, which um, uh, the goal was to kind of um, get back to nature a little bit and build roads and also just uh, get started building communities and, and creating a, a new way of life. And so this is um, now the third country that I've been scouting for doing an Oasa project in Portugal. Um, initially, I had looked a bit upstate New York because that's close to where I was, and then I had looked a lot into South Africa, almost bought a place there, um, but then decided against it because of the the risk and the distance. Um, so Portugal kind of seemed to check all the boxes. It's proximity to to Europe and to to the US. Um, it's uh, developed. There's no not much political risk. People are kind of open to to change and and it's also a nomad destination um so that's the main reason why we chose portugal and um so we well we met with annie this year in mexico and um as it felt like there could be some uh, great overlap between our communities and that's, that's kind of what we've been doing bridging the gap between the more entrepreneurial digital nomad side that I come from and the more maybe Burning Man, Burning Man artists, yeah, creators, creators side on, on projects project on our side. Do you guys have a story of how you met? It's a, it's a match made in uh, Google. 
<laughs> I uh, I was uh, well, Adi was. Yeah, I organize I organize uh, sort of retreat gatherings for Project Heart every year in Mexico and in Turkey. And yeah, last year uh, during Project Heart gathering, I received an application from a stranger, <laughs> uh, and uh, I I looked through it and I was like, okay, this guy looks like he's a good fit for project heart bring him on and it was sam and yeah i think we connected over that precise thing that we are both wanted to uh, build communities and just have people around and make people happy and we're just something that drives us both yeah and from my side i had been exploring a lot of different uh, co-living concepts and communities and whatnot in the last couple of years um i was heading to uh hedone gathering in uh in tulum in february and uh yeah before i kind of randomly landed on at his retreat and decided to join so awesome. yeah that's... so so the, i guess between the, the three of you you have quite a few kind of interlocking projects there's oasa there's dream Frack factory um, there's Project Hearts and then there's Rebuild, of course. So describe what each project is to, for you guys and how they fit together in, in, in your dreams and in your life. So we all connected on the Rebuild here and um, Rebuild uh, to me is kind of uh, a movement, a broader movement creating communities around the world that are regenerative, um, and it started from, I think, a place of uh, collaboration between all those people who are starting these kind of new way of living projects around the world. Um, and so I had started uh, OASA, which is my personal new way of living project um, around, around three years ago. And I guess that I'd been scouting in different countries and whatnot. And, um, yeah, one of the main ideas is to change the ways that we perceive ownership and how we inhabit this planet. And instead of uh, having the traditional urban dream of just going from being a student, living in a small apartment, to expanding, to having a bigger house in the suburbs, but just with your little family, having a dog and, and cows and whatnot, to to dream a bit more uh, community-centric and more planet-centric, where we can kind of uh, pull resources together to make it more efficient and also to solve the, the problem of uh, loneliness where people just spend their time kind of alone and they're kind of defined by, by the structure of just work nine to five and live in a house and that kind of defines them and we're kind of losing the social tissue because of it, I think. Um, so yeah, so OASA was, the goal was to build some um, kind of retreat spaces in nature. So it was like the, the initial initial goal, initial uh, uh, concept. And then it's kind of been involving to try and comprehend all the different facets of life that I would like to 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 have to embody when I'm living in those spaces. Um, 
uh, yeah, when with Project Heart, actually we've never had the initial idea many years ago, seven years ago when it started, it was to actually have a, a location, like a, a physical location in Mexico, but it was very complicated. It, it's still complicated in Mexico, um, getting land as a foreigner and going through the whole process and feeling secure because there's um, yeah a lot of instability and so on. And also, I think I was at the point of my life where I was not ready to commit to being stable. And whenever you start a project, a physical project, that means that you're making a commitment, at least for two, three years at the beginning while it starts. Um, so instead, we just build a community of people, a uh, global community, and we organize these gatherings in uh, the different locations. Um, so we have, a, let's say, the wider network is maybe 2,000 people, but the closer group, it's around 300 people. And I think that's also a really nice number. Um, yeah, we've done, uh, so we've done a lot of um, celebrations and a lot of workshops. And we also had uh, uh, workshops around, around how to make uh, the world a better place. But while we were focused more on uh, being together, giving giving to each other and um, sharing, teaching each other and so on, then I really was inspired by Sam's concept where like, I think he really actively put an effort to understanding how really to make the world a, a better place. Um, and I don't know, yeah, it seems like um, I, I felt confident into creating a community, like binding the people, getting the people together. And with Oasis vision, I think I just aligned and I, I felt like, yeah, it's a good, it's a good uh, collaboration to get these two forces together. And we've started, yeah, this summer, we've seen a lot of places in Portugal. We've, we've went through a lot of ideas from uh, seeing an old monastery with a lot of land on the border with Spain. Um, which was uh, luxurious, uh, uh, really beautiful architectural building that was uh, ready to be used as for co-living, um, which was a little bit difficult because there was a lot of money involved and that means that you need people to be commitment, committed at once. Um, so when that fell through at some point after out of research and attempts to make it happen, we started looking at land um, around Portugal, inland Alentejo mostly. Um, so land with ruins, thinking what can we build, what can we make happen. Um, and we've got inspired by the landscape for sure. We wanted to be closer to the beach. And I guess sometimes in the fall we landed on an old chicken factory that we both loved and we could see the potential of creating this amazing space where we can build a community and and yeah also like because we are much more hands-on like we really want to just build something rather than spend time on all the administrative stuff and getting permits and whatnot uh this place made a lot of sense because it already has 1500 square meters of building that exists uh, so we just need to change the usage of the space, but we can already start renovating, we can already start living there, building stuff. Um, and for us, it was just a big blank canvas that we can put all of our dreams in. And yeah, we had a, we had a lot of dreams and we already had a community that we started in Portugal. 
uh, in Gandum in a temporary farm place that's uh, being built into a sustainable hotel. Uh, they're going to be starting construction in May. Um, and so we got connected to the to the founder and we've been living on his farm and we all started we created a kind of co-living culture in one of the buildings um, where, where we were living uh, called Yandum, it's which is like one one part of the property and so we had already nine people uh, living there uh, kind of started to applying a lot of the principles from OESA and um, like how yeah just creating that culture of uh, of that we want to create for the traditional dream factory, which includes like uh, a culture of gifting and co-creation, co-creation and empowering each other. Um, and yeah, so next step will be to implement it in our own space. An old chicken farm with 1500 square meters. It's three big warehouses to at least have like a nice backyard. So it felt like a, a rural place and not like a, a house in a in a village with no access so so we started researching who are the owners of the land turned out that it was a cousin of the owner of the building who owned the land and so we started having conversations with them figuring out how we could do it and it was kind of a long process like it took a few months to figure out uh, how to do it and first we were trying to to just buy five hectares and so that was an, our initial plan, and we were trying to see how we can divide this piece out of the larger property, which is 25 hectares. And so we talked with lawyers, and the owner of the building had said that uh, it would be possible because it would be like a backyard division and stuff. But we were quickly getting into a lot of like legal hassle and like trying to do some complex legal things and having a lot of. Uh, legal costs and so on like we had a 12,000 euro estimate from from our lawyers to just to get that done and but so in the end we we met with the owners and we asked to do like a tour of the whole land and that was uh, the days that we took uh, these pictures and um and the owners of the land were actually like super flexible and have been really nice with us and when we when we saw the whole land we uh well, we had the idea of why not do like a lease to buy option because um, what what the owner wanted was um, to have some safety for the child um, because uh, they want to be sure that they can leave some kind of legacy to their child and and so they they wanted to make sure that they could get like a well either like a good price or or just like keep the the land for them. Uh, but at the same time, they also were interested in the project and doing something good. And we basically spent a whole afternoon with them, yeah. drinking aguardiente and uh, making friends with them. Yeah, actually, yeah, they they had no, they they didn't want to sell the land. They had no interest in selling the land. Yeah. So it was really nice that they were open and receptive and really understanding what our plans are, and they were really happy to see that we want to do something good, that we want to regenerate the land and we want to create a food forest and have it open for locals to come by and enjoy and pick up their fruits. So like, yeah, we were really lucky. They're both teachers, uh, so they're open-minded. Um, and I think they believe in us and they were flexible from the very beginning, from, from the point of, of like, 
not want not uh, not having the land on market or anything like that to yeah uh, going with our idea of signing a seven years lease so that's the time frame because you're asking about the time frame so we have seven years and uh, at any time in those seven years we can buy it with the with the price that we agreed upon and yes the rent that we're paying then would get discounted from the final price which is five hectares mm -hmm. so that's the part that we're going to start developing from the beginning we only have access from march 1st and then the option to buy is for the whole area because we couldn't divide it so we decided well if like if the project is successful then we might as well buy the whole thing because then that means that yeah, so we should have the capacity for it. And, and that includes the buildings as well. So the buildings are being leased uh, mm -hmm. as well as no. the land. No, so the no. buildings we're buying, so that's one property. Okay. And then all the rest, uh, we have, well, using the yellow and then the green is the uh, option to buy. So okay. the, And we have seven years, so we have seven years to, to close that deal. Um, so we don't have to spend any money on the land for the next seven years. We can just start using the yellow piece and then whenever we are ready, we can exercise the option to buy and get the whole property. Um, and so that's 550,000 euros for the whole thing. And Great. separate, the, and the buildings are separate, separate owners, separate yeah. deal. That's something that we're going to buy. We're in the process. There's some legal documents to go over. Uh, as yeah, well, cash, we're able to get a mortgage as well. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm buying it in my personal names, the buildings, um, and so that means that I can just back it with a with a mortgage, and so like basically our whole upfront cash needed for the whole project is like eighty thousand euros, um, and that's quite amazing, right? Is that all this property, all this potential, and it's not eight million euros it's eighty thousand euros which exactly. shows you do it in the right way with the right spirit you can actually get started without needing to be a millionaire exactly and That's then awesome. the, the other great thing about it is um when we had started our research last summer uh in portugal we, we had looked at this property it's a beautiful monastery in the in elvas close to the spanish border uh, but that was a one and a half million euro property and we tried to get a flexible deal from the owner. We tried to do like an owner finance deal, uh, but he was just not interested and whatnot. So that meant that if we were to go through with that kind of place, we would have to have the entire community uh, pay upfront for it. And so that would have been, yeah, like getting one and a half million euros together from the community to buy it. And then, well, and then you have to have everyone aligned from the first second. Um, whereas here we have much more flexibility because, uh, first of all, we can, what well, we are, we are expecting is to spend about the same amount, like about a million and a half to 2 million on the whole project. But the difference is we can do it over the next three, four years. And so we don't have any like time constraint. We can just onboard people bit by bit. So instead of having to have everyone uh, agree from the beginning and be on the same page, we can just bring people in every month. And that's kind of a goal to just have one new member every month for the next three years. Brilliant, awesome. And uh, do you have ideas for how you're going to activate the buildings themselves? Uh, yeah, so, so there's like three warehouses. So one of them we envision for co-living corridors. Uh, so there will be 
five larger suits and eight lofts, loft uh, yeah. rooms. But yeah, the, the, the idea is to use only one of the buildings for actually living. Mm -hmm. So we're going to be saving like more than 60% of the total square meterage for creativity and to to make people creative. And that's kind of the, the core focus of the Dream Factory is to empower people to be creative and to launch their own businesses and do whatever they want. The house, so that's already already the house it has that right of use, like a, a usage as a house. The rest is still agricultural, so we need to um, get permits for changing the use of those buildings from agricultural to rural tourism. Uh, so there's two more rooms in, uh, in the house. Um, and we also have the other two smaller buildings. They're kind of lofts, we call them the artist lofts. So we're gonna have rooms as, uh, there as well. So by now in total, I, I guess we have 15, 17 rooms. Um, yeah, the way we envision is that the members will get to own tokens into this project as equity. So one token owned represents one day spent in the factory. Um, so this is how we got also to this number of rooms, like how many rooms versus uh, uh, how many days in the year. Um, and also we reserve, maybe we can go over that, we reserve uh, um, tokens to artists and community managers. So we have a 15% reserve for uh, ex exceptional contributions. That's great. I, I'm, I guess that you guys have already jumped into the next question, which is um, how would you describe the community you're trying to build? What type of people are you attracting? And also how do people engage uh, in different ways um, from obviously being core members to guests and so on? Yeah, so I mean, we talked a little bit about our values. Um, and yeah, one of the core values is to give responsibility to the community. And by that we mean giving them ownership. So the idea is that you're going to be owning shares into the project corresponding to how, how present you are within the project. So we're so we creating different incentives for, for members to, um, um, yeah, to own shares corresponding to that amount. So the top level is uh, stewards. So that's people who commit three to 12 months per year and they, they have to own, as I say, a corresponding number of tokens. So for example, if you intend to spend six months a year, because the goal is not necessarily to be there full time, uh, we see it more as a space of transition and where you come to create a project and then you can continue, um, but where you can basically come back every year and, and build roots as, uh, as you go along. And so... And build what, did you say? Um, roots. Build roots. roots yeah. build, yes. Okay. <laughs> I thought I heard roads. It's like, oh wow, what road building? <laughs> uh, We've gone back to the Soviet uh, road building days. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. So yeah, the goal is really to yeah to to create um, a, a home, like a, a new type of home. And so that was actually one of the questions we asked our members: is how do they feel at home? Um, but yeah, I think one of the, the aspects of building a home is being able to, yeah, take ownership of the space, feel like you can, 
well, like it's not being run by some companies. It's gonna uh, have profits, and so where the stakes are gonna be at odds. So our our goal over time is actually to have the rent uh, being reduced rather than being increased, and so that kind of changes the perspective. And so when when you own this, the place, and also people will be um, be asked to participate in the construction and to to really take ownership in that way as well. So when when people really build a space together, then they uh, well the the feeling of ownership is also really different, and they can really feel like they they have like something that they want to contribute to every year and, and create something. Um, I have a question. Do you think that without the ownership, people would not engage as much? Do you think people wouldn't come if you didn't offer them that opportunity to be stewards, to be co-owners? And also, how do you decide how much of a stake uh, people get? Obviously, if you buy in, then it's proportional to the money you put in. But how do you mix time, energy, love, and money all in one? Yes. So, so indeed, uh, the stake is proportional. Yes, to the money that you put in, but also to the time that you want to commit. So we will have sponsors, and those are not not investors, but more more you could say impact investors, more like people that believe in the project and um, they 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 buy some tokens, they buy into the project, but they can't really commit to be there. They will come, but they can't commit, make a commitment of uh, one month. One month is our minimum for uh, commitment for being a citizen uh, uh, in in Dream Factory, which really gives you a privileged rate, low rates. So when you come, you stay for privileged low rates. You also have the ability to open a business, to launch your dream, to really make use of the facilities. Um, so yeah, so the difference is uh, sponsors, um, they would pay like a regular price for that, uh, so they invest their money. They also do get, um, uh, they get a return on investment at, at the end of the year and they do get to have a say in, uh, in, in uh, long-term decisions as uh, equity holders. But uh, citizens and stewards, they're the ones that uh, are the core members and they will take decisions regarding the how the community is run um, yeah and and to come back to what you you asked for uh will people want to will people not want to come if they don't have ownership um well the i think they creates kind of uh you have a conflict of interest if you have for example one company that owns it and then the people who come there because uh, the companies that just owned it, it would always have as an interest to generate more rental revenue. Mm -hmm. So this is why we, we're creating this uh, incentivized model where we incentivize people to own the same stake as they're going to participate in the project. So for example, a steward spending three months a year um, should own three months worth of tokens because that means that um, at the end of the year when we do the, the accounting, the return on investment is going to be the same as what you spent in monthly expenses. So that means that there's no incentive for yeah for just like 
um, hoarding tokens or, or yeah. If you live in a place, you're not going to just care about how much rent it, it generates. You're also going to care about the atmosphere and the feeling and exactly. the ecology of the area. And so you're not going to see it as a transactional thing where you're just ex trying to extract money. You're seeing it as a home. And it's so important that that's, that's at the heart of all of these projects. Um, for yeah. sure. And so, so what, what you get when you become a member of the traditional dream factory is also more than just living like it's not not just a random idea that you also get access to industrial facilities like industrial kitchen and whatever you need to be creative so a space to do woodworking metalworking pottery like whatever um and and then all those spaces just get used by the residents in order to create value for the community and also for external people so if you want to come and launch a company, then you can just do it within the dream factory. You don't have to think about setting up your own company, et cetera. You can sell the products within the factory uh, and you get access to all those resources um, that are available to you. Um, and what is it that you guys are providing to make that process easier? Um, as opposed to anyone being able to just turn up to a country and set up a business. Uh, what is it that you guys are gonna put in place to make that easier? So it's inspired by, uh, there's a local co-op in the town where we are currently living. It's called Minga. And it's just a consortium of like 50 different uh, professionals. Uh, but instead of the 50 people having each their own company and having to each do their own accounting and their own everything, um, you just have like a single accountant, a single lawyer, etc. So they pull resources and, um, and they just use a single entity to do it. Um, so that, that's the first thing is you have a lot less hassle to just set up the paperwork, etc., and you share resources. And then the second thing is you can create internal value flows. So for example, um, the architect that are doing the project, they're part of this uh, co-op, uh, but we had a project to maybe start an ice cream truck. And so we, if we start an ice cream truck as part of that co-op, uh, now all the profits that we generate from the ice cream truck we can spend it on the architects directly. So it can become an internal credit. So you can, instead of uh, having to cash out your money and pay taxes, et cetera, you can just keep the flow internal. So you avoid any, yeah, any loss of value and you create more value for, for the other people within this system. So that's kind of the goal with the traditional dream factory is to create those positive loops where mm -hmm maybe like you need an architect and maybe you can provide like uh, some uh, development services or whatever it is. And so by creating that value to the community, then all of a sudden you get like a, yeah, like a positive feedback loop going on. And the same can work for time, time spent on the farm, food, exactly. meals, meals are served and all of those things. And, Exactly. that you have this internal economy that's thriving that also builds resilience and financial security uh, within the citizens and within the society what's interesting about your project is how much local involvement you have done and how much you have learned from the local area and how much you co-created with the people that actually live there already so it's not just we want to build a dream 
a dream house or a dream resort. Let's find a piece of land and then just go. Um, it's very much something that's in a co-production with the local area. And that's what drew you to actually choosing that site in the end. Um, what's the process and how much time should you allow for that local engagement? And how important is that in your project? The local so for the local engagement, well, the, the Dream Factory, it's sitting on the top hill of the village and it's been traditionally, it's been a, a place of gathering for local people. They've had uh, Fado nights regularly there and uh, town parties and so on. So for sure, it's been now abandoned for 10 years and you can still see on one of the uh, warehouses, the chairs that were there, uh, tables and so on. So for sure, we want to reactivate that and like have it have the space now or like in the future, even more beautiful and more welcoming and invite the local people and still keep those traditions. Uh, there's also um, the landowners, they have their own relationship with, relationships with uh, the town. And it's very nice because uh, they create yeah, this friendship where uh, the, the owners, they, do, they live in Lisbon, but the town, town people, they watch over the land and if they see something moving, they will like get, get to the owners and let them know. Um, and maybe you can tell the story of the <laughs> oak, oak trees. <laughs> yeah, so when, when, we, uh, when we were hanging out with the owners, after the guy, he like, kind of took me as a, on the side and he had like some kind of man talk with me, like one-on-one. Uh, -on -one. Um, and it was kind of funny because he started telling me these stories about the, the oak trees on the property. And it's like really nice uh, protected oak trees. And the guy is a, is a pianist. And he was telling us how those oak trees are actually used to make instruments and um, how they're actually really valuable. Um, but you can't cut them because they're protected. But whenever one tree dies, you can get a permission from the police to, to, to cut it down and then you can sell it and uh, it sells at a premium because it's used to make instruments. Um, so, so yeah, so he was telling me how, how the locals from the village, every time there's a tree that dies, they go and they ask him, um, hey, like, can I, can I cut the tree? Because I want to I wanna use it. And so, so he just kept that uh, relationship with the local people and just uh, giving them access to those dead trees once they die. And that means that everyone yeah, has this like, great relationship and really wants to look over the land and take care of it for them. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's kind of just a couple of local traditions that we've become aware of, like the local parties and the mm -hmm. fact that the locals get access to the, to the trees to cut them and so on. Um, that that's a kind of tradition that we just want to keep alive and just expand on and just build more ties with the local village and make sure that um, that everyone can feel welcome within the project um, and then more broadly like we want to create positive loops on the local economy incentivizing more regenerative farming for example so one of the goals to buy local produce from the from the farmers and then transform it within the factory because we kind of have a restaurant and industrial kitchen and all that. And then we, we can sell it uh, at a higher added value um, than if the farmer was just selling the potatoes and whatnot. 
And so therefore we want to incentivize the farmers to implement regenerative practices. So we've been looking into all these different labels that you can implement, whether it's like regen uh, network or cultivo.land, like you have been mentioning, and like all these different kind of farm solutions that are kind of out of reach for most like local small town farmers in Portugal and just help them get onboarded onto all these processes uh, and get them access to well, to higher value for their products. And for us, getting value by having them create regenerative uh, practices. So it's just like a win-win situation. Awesome. I'm a big uh, fan of the food forest that Annie mentioned. Yeah, also the food forest, we also <coughs> want to, uh, like part of the like part of the problem in Portugal with land, it's a bad water management. So this is one of the first things that we want to do there, to create swells, to create natural pools, and so on. So that's another thing that we want to create for for the village as well to have like a big natural pool where where they're all welcome to come by and have a swim. Exactly. Yeah, we want to. One of the things we want to give is a free drinking water because that's such a big yeah. issue today. It's like when you're walking around a town or something, if you're a traveler or whatever, the only way to get access to drinkable water is not to just buy a plastic bottle. And that really doesn't make any sense to us. So we want to create a, well, after all the water system thing is in place, like have a place where you can just come and get free drinking water and also have a, a place where you can just have a free natural water pool so you can have a swim, have a shower, and just give that for free to, to everyone in the town and also the travelers who are just stopping by. So creating like a, a mentality of abundance. To close up, what do you need help with? Uh, what ask do you have to the, the world of the internet and whoever is listening? <laughs> and we kind of divided the, the project into two phases, the build phase and then the go live. And so during the build phase, the goal is obviously to, to build it and to raise uh, the, the capital by selling ownerships into the project or selling tokens. Um, and so we are just really looking to invite everyone to come and be part of it and take ownership to, to visit us, first of all, to help us build it and then to buy a few tokens if they like it uh, so that they can come back every year and just be part of the process. Yeah, so during the build phase, exactly, like uh, everyone, everyone can come and stay there and just help. And that's also part of the process of on onboarding. If we don't personally know the people and if we can vouch for the people, then they're just welcome to come, stay for two weeks. Uh, well, first apply over the di uh, platform, digital platform, then just stay with us for two weeks and they, for them to fill it out and also for us to know to understand if they align and slowly uh, they're going to be like vouched by members of the community not necessarily by sam all right so yeah anyone can already apply for an account on oasa.co mm -hmm. um you can fill up a form and then we already have an, a whole platform going on where you can uh, interact with other members you can have private channels for different things and it's it's kind of like a community platform and one of the things that we're adding is this task management system that we talked a little bit about where people can, for example, create a task for the community. So when we said like 
you're an architect, you can uh, offer your services in exchange for other things within the community. So we have our own like internal task management system mm -hmm. that we'll be using to build a project as well. So for example, during the next phase, we'll be looking for builders or people to do like some carpentry work or some plumbing or whatever. And so if we have uh, skilled people within the community, then they can directly apply for the, for the job, for the task, and they can get equity into the project by doing, by doing that. Great. And so my final question before we, uh, we end the call today is how do you see humans living together in 2050? Well, we, I see people living in places like traditional dream factory. Um, but yeah, more thinking more of uh, the idea of, and I don't think we touched on it that much, uh, like, non, like uh, not owning land. And this is one thing that we want to do with this project. Uh, the land will not be owned by traditional dream factory, neither by any of the members. It will uh, be in a, in, uh, owned by o Oasa or, or well managed like being a trust fund and so I think this is important and I so, envision that this is how we're going to live in 2050 like uh, property is not going to be that important anymore uh, and ownership yes we can own uh, we can own a space that we make it beautiful and so on but it doesn't mean that we have to own the lands that we live on so yeah so to clar clarify oasa is going to become a non-profit and the role of the non-profit is going to be to hold the titles of land and that's it and and then the role of the humans and the role of projects like traditional dream factory are to become the guardians of those spaces so it's going from a model of ownership and exploitation of the land into a model of just creating abundance and creating um yeah just creating a space where people can be empowered to be uh guardians of the land and to regenerate the land and to to create more abundance for future generations and for neighbors and for everyone around a great way to end thank you sam thank you annie um thank you for sharing thank you Anton.